welcome again to Catch the Fire Ottawa. Um, for those of you who've been here for a while, or if you're new here, we're in the middle of a series uh, on the Holy Spirit. And right now, we're at the part of the series where we're talking about life in the Spirit, talking about fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And so I want to continue on that today, um, because the uh, actually, before I get there, what I want to do is show you how important this, this is. I like to remind us that life in the Spirit is a crucial part of our Christian life, our Christian walk. After we're born again... Everything in our Christian life deals, the Holy Spirit is part of everything in our Christian walk. And so it's such an important topic, um, and so I, I, that's why I'm spending so much time on this. Um, but what's exciting is being in this part of the, the series is that it's really practical, uh, you know, it's really applied. Because like I said, it, it affects every part of our life. And the question is, okay, well, how do we live in the Spirit? Because there's a whole bunch of imperatives in the Bible that tell us to live in the Spirit. And this is, I just wanted to show you a couple of these verses to show you how important it is. So in Galatians 5 in particular, this is, this is the key that Paul gives us to uh, uh, Christian life. So I'm talking about how do you do ethics in the New Covenant if law is no longer the case? Um, what are we supposed to do? Right? And so the key is... After Paul makes this huge case in Galatians that you're no longer under law, well, the question becomes then, okay, well, how do you live then? If there's no such thing as law, and if law doesn't define righteousness, then how do you do righteousness in the new covenant? And Paul's answer is the Spirit. It's the new covenant of the Spirit, he says in 2 Corinthians 3.6. And so just, just bam, 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 here's a few verses, so you see how crucial this, so this is. So this is Galatians 5, verse 16. He says, So I say, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? And that's super important because the, the, the other side of the coin is, if you're no longer under law, then people can make the case, well, then I can do whatever I want. And you see that, right? It's like, well, okay, it's all by grace. I'm no, under, no longer under law, so I'm going to just do whatever because it doesn't matter anymore. And Paul's like, no. Right? That's living in the flesh, too. Okay? So that's the, that's the other ditch. And so he says, but hey, if you're living by the Spirit, you're not going to give in to the lust of the flesh any longer. Right? Because, and that's how crucial the Holy Spirit is in the New Covenant. So you don't even have to worry about getting into licentiousness and all these things if you're living by the Spirit. Because if you're walking by the Spirit, you're not even going to do those things. But then he goes on to say, that if those who are, if you're led by the Spirit, you're no longer under law. See, law and lawlessness. It's, it's the, to stay on the path of life, you need to walk by the Spirit. Because one ditch, there's lawlessness. The other ditch, there's legalism. So how do you stay in the radical middle? You walk by the Spirit, and that is the key. Okay? And so, so you see there in two verses, the key to staying in the radical middle. But then in verse 25, he says, since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we have a part to play, don't we? Right? You can't just passively sit there and say, okay, Holy Spirit, you blew it yesterday when I was angry at my spouse. Where were you? Where was the fruit of gentleness that you're supposed to give me? Right? No, we have a part to play. It's our part to keep in step with the Spirit if we live by the Spirit, right? And so that's why it's important that we need to develop the relationship with the Holy Spirit so we do walk in the Spirit as we're called to do. But what's really interesting is look at Romans 8.14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say those who have the Spirit of God are the children of God. He said those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Which goes to show how important being led by the Spirit is, right? 
If that's what makes us the children of God, what does it mean then to be led by the Spirit? You know, it's one of those things that you can see a hundred times, just be like, okay, that's nice, but what does it actually mean, right? And, and that's sort of what I'm talking about in this series right now, is how do you actually live life by the Spirit? It's one thing to have these imperatives and to, you know, read it and say, okay, but, but it's a reality. We're supposed to actually walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, Right? It, Paul's not just making stuff up that sounds nice. So practically, how do you live by the Spirit is the question. And uh, for the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about how one major, major, major key to living in the Spirit, to walking by the Spirit, to living life by the Spirit is, is through fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's through intimacy with God. It's through actually developing that relationship and as you develop that relationship, you learn his heart. You learn how to hear his voice. You learn um, what he likes, what he doesn't like. It's, it's like any relationship. The more you put into it, the more you're going to get out, right? And if you never talk to your spouse ever, how many of you see that would be a problem? Communication is super crucial, isn't it? But how are you going to get to know the Holy Spirit if you never communicate with him? Right? And so this is the idea here that we've been talking about, is a major key is fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And I love this verse. You guys may know this by now if you've been coming here. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship, and I love the message translation, says intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Last week we talked about fellowship and what it actually means, the Greek word koinonia, and I gave you a whole bunch of different words that, that define that. And I basically boiled it down to fellowship, partnership, and intimacy. Okay? So it's really just relationship. It's really developing that intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And that is something that is so important. Trisha and I just burned for that. You know, that, yeah, God just transformed our lives through that intimacy with God. And we just love uh, you know, that message of, yeah, you can have that relationship, and it's all by the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's the second value in the FIRE values. If you guys know Catch the Fire, uh, the acronym FIRE, it actually stands for different things. The second thing is intimacy with God, particularly through hearing His voice, com communing with God. And so this is a really important uh, message to us personally, but also to us as a movement, intimacy with God. Okay? And so, so last week... I had the question, okay, well, how do you actually develop this intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit, right? That's a good question. And it might be foreign to some of us who've never really pursued that or have even thought of it. That's why I highly recommend Benny Hinn's book, Good Morning Holy Spirit. So good. And that's what transformed his life. It's all about his testimony of how he got to know the Holy Spirit as a person. Because the Holy Spirit isn't just some force. He's actually a person who you can get to know and talk to and have communion with. It's amazing. So I highly recommend that book. I can't remember. We might be sold out. We might have it here if you're interested. But last week we talked about, we, we actually looked at Paul's life in the Spirit. And we talked about and a major key to developing fellowship with the Holy Spirit's prayer. Okay? So if you're interested, you can, you can check out last week's message. Today I want to move on and look at some other keys uh, to developing relationship with the Holy Spirit. And, and specifically, I want to look at the life of David. Because David was a man after God's own heart. If you think of uh, the Bible and the different people who had amazing relationship with, who were friends with God, you could probably name some people. David would be at the top of the list, I think. Right? The life of, in fact, David, um, and we'll see this in a few minutes, that in the book of Acts, 
Over a thousand years after David died, God still said he was a man after my own heart in Acts 13.22. How many of you want to be known by God as a man or woman after his own heart? Yeah, come on. So obviously we can learn a thing or two from someone who was called that, right? Yeah. And so, so I thought it would be good to check out the life of David because I believe there's some keys from David's life that we could glean from to learn how to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Okay, and that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to give three keys, I believe, from the life of David. I'm sure there's more. Um, but lessons from the life of David specifically in how to develop this relationship with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the first key, the first key that I want to talk about is that David highly valued his relationship with the Holy Spirit. Okay? He, he had a high value for the Holy Spirit, for living life in the Spirit, for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you see this throughout his life, okay? And I just want to show you this if you haven't thought about it before. Because he's really an amazing example of someone who lived his life by the Spirit. From the time he received the Spirit until his death, he had this high value for his relationship with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And David's relationship with the Holy Spirit helped him to stay in God's will and to do all that God wanted him to do. And and we're going to see when we look at Acts 13, this is the key that made David a man after his own heart. God says, he's a man after my own heart because he does all of my will. He'll do whatever I ask him to do. Right? And so how did David actually do that? We're going to see from his life that what he did is he developed this relationship with God through his Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He inquired of God, and then he did God's will. Okay? We're going to see that. But for, so for what I want to do then is the awesome thing about the life of David is that, of course, we have the narrative of David's life, First and Second Samuel, also in Chronicles. But also we have all these Psalms, Right? I mean, come on, David's songs were so cool and so good that God canonized them forever. It's like, I love those songs so much. They're going to be in the Bible. And in fact, for, for millennia, they've been the prayers of, first of all, Israel. That was their prayer book, but also the church. It wasn't until recently we haven't really maintained that. But for years and centuries, the, the Psalms were the prayer book of the church. Okay? So... This, this idea that David highly valued his relationship with the Holy Spirit comes out both in his life, in, his, in the narrative of David, but also in his Psalms. So I'm going to show you both with each one of these keys. So first I want to show you uh, from 1 Samuel 16, okay? This is where David actually receives the Holy Spirit because you can see from the time he received the Holy Spirit till his death, he had this really high value for the Holy Spirit in his life, for his relationship with the Holy Spirit. So in verse, in, in verse 12, I'm just going to just fast forward to this. If, if you know the story, Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, right? And then, and then he goes through each one of his brothers, and God's like, that's not the one I've chosen, that's not the one I've chosen. And Samuel's kind of perplexed. We went through all your sons. Do you have another son? Like, this doesn't make sense. And Jesse's like, oh, yeah, there's David. He's out with the sheep. <laughs> Didn't even invite him. Like, that's not very nice, is it? It's like the prophet... The most famous prophet ever at that time comes to your house and you're, you didn't even get the memo from your dad. Like, come on. He must have needed some inner healing. It's like, geez, you didn't even tell him Samuel's coming? So they're like, okay, we'll wait. Samuel's like, well, go get him. We'll wait. Gets David and God's like, this is the one. 
Because, see, Samuel was looking at the outward appearance, and that's the temptation we all have to deal with. His, his first son, he's like, man, this guy's it. He's tall. He's muscular. He looks like a king. This has got to be the one. And God's like, nope, I've rejected him. And Samuel's like, what? And God's like, why? Because I look at the heart. Man looks at outward appearance. I look at the heart. And that is such a major key. God is always looking at the heart. He chooses people that on the outside doesn't make any sense, but it's because God looks at the movements of the heart and says, that's somebody I want. That's why I chose that person. So, so here, here God's like, hey, he's the one. Now anoint him. So Samuel anoints him, and then in the, in the presence of everyone, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Powerfully. And this is when David's life in the Spirit began. And the interesting thing is even the Psalms, David's known as the anointed one. But who's Jesus? Who's Jesus known as? The son of David, the Messiah, the anointed one. So, so his father, David, we can learn a lot from his life as well. His life in the Spirit, the anointed king of Israel, the anointed one of the Spirit. Now, look at what David's last... So I'm fast-forwarding now until David's death. Look at what his last words were. How many of you know people's last words are important? Yeah? Like when they're on their deathbed, the last thing they say you want to be listening because it's probably super important. Look at what David's last words were. He's on his deathbed. This is 2 Samuel 23, 1 and 2. This goes to show David's relationship with the Holy Spirit. It says, these are the last words of David. The, in, the inspired utterance of David's son of Jesse, the utterance of a man exalted by the Most High, a man anointed by the God of Jacob, anointed by the Holy Spirit, the hero of Israel's songs. And this is what David says, the Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. Isn't that an interesting thing to say? His word was on my tongue. Like, like who would say that as their last words? But the, 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 see, David has such an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit that he's like, this is my life. That I was so connected with the Holy Spirit that he spoke through me. His words were always on my tongue. Right? And, and what's so interesting, he wasn't a prophet. Right? He was anointed king, but he wasn't a prophet. But, but his, his words were so, uh, he was so connected with the Holy Spirit that his words were so anointed that people attributed the Holy Spirit to his words. Like he himself did right here. The Holy Spirit spoke through David. Okay? So I just want to show you a couple examples from the New Testament. This is how they remember David. This guy had such a relationship with the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit just spoke through him. He was the Holy Spirit's mouthpiece. Right? So look, this is Jesus. Matthew, Mark 12. I have the full reference, but I'm just giving you the highlighted part. Mark 12, 35. This is Jesus talking. David himself speaking by the Holy Spirit declared. Isn't that interesting? Right? Acts 1, 15 to 16, this is Peter talking, and he's, he's preaching. He's give, make, give, making an announcement. He says, the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David. And then in Acts 4, 24, they're praying to God now. They're talking to God, and they say, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. This is what David was known for, his relationship with the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and even just talking, it's like, man, that was the Holy Spirit speaking through this guy. Because he had such a connection with the Holy Spirit. Now, the cool news and the good news is, Jesus promises us that we can have this as well. And I would suggest that the fruit of, of this life of intimacy with the Holy Spirit that David have, had 
is that he was the Holy Spirit's mouthpiece and that we can be too. That we can have such a relationship with the Holy Spirit that our words would be inspired by him. That, that, how many of you would want that? That when you speak, it's God speaking through you. That when someone comes from you from, for counsel, it's like you speak, it's like, man, that was the Holy Spirit. Right? That's how David lived. And that's how thousands, a thousand years later, he was known for by Jesus from the apostles. It's like the Holy Spirit spoke through this guy. But look at what Jesus promises us in Matthew 10, 18 through 20. I love this. Jesus says, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it'll not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Isn't that amazing? That as new covenant believers, because now we all have the Holy Spirit, that we can, we don't even have to worry about what to say, that the Spirit will speak through us. And I believe that, how does that happen? It's through relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's through that intimacy, it's through yielding to Him. Because I mean, if you speak in tongues, that's of course the Holy Spirit speaking through you, but it, clearly He can also speak through you when you're just talking normally in English or whatever language, right? And Jesus tells us that. So, so what I want to encourage us, okay, look at David. I mean, this guy had such an amazing relationship with the Holy Spirit. His last words are like, hey, the Holy Spirit spoke through me, that we can have that as well. Jesus promises that. But look at what, so I'm talking about the first key is that David highly valued his relationship with the Holy Spirit. And this comes out clearly in the Psalms. I'm just going to show you a couple examples of, of, of the value. You can just see how much J David cherished and longed for his relationship with the Holy Spirit. So if any of you guys know David's life, um, and, and this is what's amazing, is he blew it so many times, big time. How many of you know that? Like, like he did stuff that if someone today did it, they'd be in prison, probably. Uh, they, we would definitely, they, they probably would be banned from ministry for life from most churches, like, he had an affair, then he killed the woman's husband so they wouldn't, he wouldn't find out that she got pregnant, and all this crazy stuff. Like, just, you look and it's like, whoa, like, that gives us hope, right? <laughs> Why? Because God, nonetheless, God still considered him a man after his own heart a thousand years later, after it was all said and done. Why? Because David, David was a major repenter. He, he didn't mess around. He's like, when Nathan the prophet called him out and said, look, this, what you did is really bad, I'm paraphrasing, David just, you see his heart, it's like, man, I blew it. And if you want to see how amazing David was at repenting, read this entire psalm. Psalm 51 is, is his prayer after he got rebuked for doing these horrible things. And man, it's an amazing, I, I just recommend it. If you need to repent for something, use that as a template. <laughs> it's good. But it shows you David's heart. It's like, man, I just want to live in God's will. I want to do what he wants me to do. And I'm going to repent like crazy. Hit the delete button and move on. He had that down. But look at in the middle of this repentance, what he says here. It's amazing. Look at what his concern was. This is Psalm 51, verse 10 through 12. He says, create in me a pure heart. O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Look at this. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David's biggest concern was that the Holy Spirit would leave him. He's like, God, please, I cannot live without your presence. And if you remember, 
The second message in this series, I talked about how in the Old Testament, they equated the presence of God with the Spirit of God. And you see that here. This is Semitic parallelism where he's saying presence and the Spirit. It's the same thing. Don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But you see that's his heart cry. And you know what happened, and I'm going to show you this later. When Saul sinned, and I'm guessing this is why David even said this. When Saul fell into sin, the Holy Spirit departed from him. And David is probably like, oh man, I do not want that to happen to me. That was not good, right? And so you see his heart here, how much he valued his relationship with the Holy Spirit. But also, what I want to show you is, is he prayed. He asked God to reveal his will to him and to be led by the Spirit. Remember those, those scriptures I showed you at the beginning that God tells us to be led by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. You can even see this in David's prayers that he prayed this way. So this is, and, and if you remember, we talked about Paul, Paul's prayers last week, that Paul did pray this as well. That God would, and I'm going to show you this in a minute, God would, would reveal his will to you by his spirit. How many of you remember a few times ago when I talked about how God reveals his will by his spirit to us? If you're interested, I'm going to show you the links in a couple minutes where you can listen to it. But this is Psalm 143, verse 8 through 10. David's prayer now. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I've put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. David's always praying for guidance. For to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for, hi for I hide myself in you. And look at this, verse 10. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. So you see, part of Paul's prayer life was, hey, I want to know you will let your Holy Spirit lead me. And this is a good thing we can incorporate and pray for ourselves because like I said, we're those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God, right? And you can see this in David's prayers. But a few times ago when I talked about how to know God's will, this is an amazing prayer. You can see David prayed this all the time as well for his churches. This is from Colossians chapter 1. He's praying for them. He says, I continually pray for you, Okay. So this is starting in verse 9. I'm just going to give you that verse. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Look at this. We continually, it's a continual prayer. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Right? You see the parallels to David's prayer, right? Filling you with the knowledge of his will by his Spirit. That's how you're led by the Spirit. If you remember in Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says the Holy Spirit intercedes because we don't know what we're supposed to pray. But then he prays for us in accordance to God's will, right? And so the Holy Spirit developing that relationship, this is how, why it's so important that we be led by the Spirit because the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us according to God's perfect will. And this is how David lived. This, is how, this was his prayer. Now, this is the verse I've been alluding to all along, Acts 13. Look at this. And look at, I, I want to show you the key here now, because we all want to be men and women after God's own heart. What was the characteristic that made David a man after God's own heart? You, and he actually gives it to us in this verse. So this is Acts 13, 22. It says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. I love the New King James Version. It says, he will do, do all of my will. This is what made David a man after his own heart, that he'd do whatever God asked him. Right? 
God says, do this. David did, and he's like, that's a man after my heart because he obeys me. Jesus, and you see this in John, actually, 14 through 16. What does Jesus say like five times over and over? Those who love me, obey my commands. If you love me, obey my commands. Those who love, right? He says that over, what it, doing his will, obedience, following him. And how do we do that? We do it by the Spirit. We, that's why we're supposed to be led by the Spirit. But look at now, David lived According, oh yeah, I already said this. According to this verse, this is what made David a man after his own heart. Now, David accomplished this by asking God to reveal his will and to lead him by his spirit. And then David followed, just like we're called to do. Led by the spirit. Okay, go to the next slide, Delia. David lived in continual awareness of God's spirit and lived a presence-driven life. Remember, that's the theme of this year, a presence-driven life. You see this in the life of David. You see this. David lived this way. Okay? And I'm going to show you. Now, remember, I'm just showing you different psalms that, that show this. What, I love this psalm. One, psalm 139. Look at this. They're talking about a presence-driven life, look at how David describes his relationship with God. He says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Now, you're, we're going to see later, but also I'm just going to say in the Old Testament, God's hand, that was a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Okay, and I'm going to just show you that in a minute. But you see that metaphor used from different Old Testament prophets and so forth. When he says the hand of the Lord, he's talking about the Spirit of God. But look what David says. So you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Look at this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, talking about hell, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn... If I settle on the far side of the seed, even there, your hand, talking about the Holy Spirit, will guide me. Talking about being led by the Spirit, right? Your right hand will hold me fast. So you see, David, he's, he's always in God's presence. He's talking about, look, wherever I go, no matter where it is, if it's in the depths of evil, if it's in the highest mountain, your Holy Spirit's with me. Presence-driven life. It's just such an amazing indication of how David lived life in the Spirit. So not only did David value his relationship with the Holy Spirit, he, we see from these Psalms, he, he sought God's will and guidance by his Spirit. But the next key, and it's related to this one you're going to see, this is an important key from the life of David, is that he inquired of God all the time and obeyed his voice. It's an amazing thing. You just read First and Second Samuel, like the one thing that, one of the things that stands out is David's always inquiring of God. He's in the midst of trouble and David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord, right? So, so, so what made him a man after his own heart? He, he did all of his will. How did he do all of his will? He inquired of the Lord, God, what should I do? And then God would speak to him and then he would do it. So I'm going to just show you that. So that's the second key, inquiring of the Lord and, and obeying his voice. What I want to do is juxtapose David to, to, to Saul. For those of you who don't know, Saul was first the first king of Israel, and then he sinned, and then God, God anointed David instead because he fell. This is where Saul fell initially. And I want to show you a key here because you can see, if you compare the life of Saul to the life of David, you can see exactly what the differences are. Okay? So look at, look at this. What happened, and you can kind of sympathize with Saul here. 
what happened is there was this army of Philistines. It says as measureless as the sand on the seashore coming after him and his army. And his army, they were freaked out. They were hiding. They were scared. And Saul was supposed to wait seven days for Samuel to show up. Seven days. And there's this army that's coming against you. So Saul waits for seven days. And it says, for the time appointed that Samuel would come, then he buckles under the pressure. He's like, okay, look. I'm going to make a sacrifice to God on my own because Samuel's not showing up. Okay? So he goes and does it. He's bring me a, and he makes a sacrifice. And then, and then as soon as he was done, this is so, this is like so intense because it was like literally if he would have just waited another like hour, he would have been fine. Okay? But he buckled under the pressure last minute. As soon as he was done, look at this. Samuel comes. He says, what have you done? And then Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattered and that you didn't come to, at the set time, which he did, it still was, the seven days weren't over, but anyway, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So look at this. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. I felt compelled. He did it in his flesh. Hey, this is a good idea. <laughs> The army's coming against us. My men are scattering. I'm just going to go do it, right? Like, you can relate to that. He just buckled under the pressure, the fear of man. Like, I'm just going to do this. But look at what, what Samuel says to this, okay? You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. For you have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you to wait the seven days for him to come. Look at this. If you had, if you'd waited another hour, and I did it, you would have been, you would have established, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. What does that mean? That means Jesus Christ the Messiah would have came through his lineage if he had just waited another hour. But he didn't obey. He buckled under the pressure, did it. He, remember, he felt compelled. He did it in his flesh. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought, look at this, a man after his own heart, talking about David. And David was like 15 at this time. That's the crazy thing. David, some people say he was 15, some say 17. Whatever his age, he wasn't old enough to be in the army, which is 18. So he's a teenager. And God's like, hey, I, 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 I sought a man after my own heart. I found him. We'll see, David. And appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Isn't that intense? Goes to show how important it is to obey God's will. But remember, if you read Acts 13, what is it that made David a man after his own heart? He did all of God's will. You see, that's the difference. This is in the context of not obeying his commands. Okay? So, so I, before I, I show you now David and what he did different and why he was so awesome in the Lord's eyes, I want to show you this interesting verse from Isaiah because it goes to show even in the Old Testament, they were supposed to be led by the Spirit. Okay? And God actually rebukes them for not being led by the Spirit and for not consulting him. So this is Isaiah 30, verse 1 and 2. Look at this. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, for those who carry out plans that aren't mine. Like how many these days do you know just do that? It's like that seems like a good idea. We'll just do that. Right? But look what he says. Forming an alliance, but what? But not by my spirit, 
They're just doing it in their own, like, hey, this makes sense, this is logical, we'll just do it this way. Then look at God says, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me. Right? He's saying, look, you're not consulting me, you're not being led by the Spirit, you're just doing what you want to do. Right? And he's rebuking them for it. We're supposed to consult the Lord. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit. So then he says, who looked for help to Pharaoh's protection, looking to the world, to Egypt's shade for refuge. So you see this importance here that even in the scripture, God says, look, this is important. You need to inquire of me. You need to consult me. You need to do things by the Spirit, not just in your own whatever you think is the right thing to do, which is what Saul did, isn't it? He felt compelled, and then he just did it. But God's like, no, you need to obey. You need to do what I, consult me and do what I tell you. You see, and that's the beauty of David's life. David always inquired of the Lord. Remember, this is the second key. He always inquired of the Lord and he obeyed his voice. Okay, and that's why. So he, he sought God's heart and he conformed to his will. And that's the key that we're all supposed to do. That we seek God's will, that we're led by the Spirit, that we do what he tells us to do. And this is why Paul prayed that continually, that, you would be, that he reveal his will to you by his Spirit. So I'm just going to show you two examples of David's life. How he just did, this is how he lived. No matter the circumstance, no matter the pressures, no matter what was going on, David did this one thing. So this is 1 Samuel 23, 1-5. When David was told, now look, it's the same situation Saul was in. The Philistines are attacking him. Okay? But look at the difference. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and are looting the threshing floors, look at this. He inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? He wasn't going to be presumptuous. The Lord answered him, go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, here in Judah, we're afraid. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? So in other words, his men were scared. They're like, David, no way. Are you sure you're hearing from the Lord? Because we're scared. Right? Like, we don't want to go. Just like Saul's people, they're scared. So David's like, okay, I'll go see. So then look at this. Once again, David inquired of the Lord, to be sure. And the Lord answered him, go down to Keilah, for I'm going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. Isn't that amazing? Right? So, so David wasn't just going to go, but God was with him, you see. And he had like only 600 people with him, and still they defeated the army because God was with him. But it, the key is that God told him to go, and he said, look, I'll do it. And David obeyed. He didn't buckle under the pressure like Saul did when his men were afraid. He just did it. And you see, that's what the key of what made David a man after his own heart. The second story that I'm just going to be quick with this one, and we might all know this if you know the life of David, this was like the worst, probably one of the worst times of his life. His men were out, and this raiding army comes while they're out, raids their entire camp, and takes captive their wives and their children, all of them. So then David and his men come back, and it's like everything is gone. Imagine that. Everything. Everything you own is gone, your wife is gone, your ch and, and you can only imagine what's going through their minds of what's happening to their family from this raiding army of Amalekites, like, right? You know it's probably horrible. 
It was so bad, it says him and his men wept until they couldn't even weep anymore. It was, they were devastated. And what was crazy is they turned on David. It said they were going to stone him. <laughs> but the key of David comes in play here. He says he encouraged himself in the Lord. And then in verse 7, it says, And David said to uh, Abathar, the priest, the son of uh, Ahimelech, Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abathar brought it to him. And David, look at this, inquired of the Lord. Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? The Lord answers, pursue them. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Why is this so phenomenal? I just want you to think, remember, God, what's the logical thing to do here? Right? Like, just think about it. Do you even have to ask God if you should go and rescue your family? Right? If you think about it. Most people are like, yeah, go. Like, that would be okay. Let's go get our stuff and our families back. But David, what's so phenomenal is David was not presumptuous. Even though that made logical sense, and that's the right thing to do, according to most people's perceptions, David would not live that way. He said, no. He inquired, should I go? He inquired of the Lord. Is it, and that just goes to show David's heart. Because if God wasn't in it, he wasn't going to go. No matter if people were going to stone him, no matter if people were going to blame him that all their stuff's gone, what it mattered to him most is that he obeyed the Lord, right? And that's such a phenomenal picture and why God said, hey, this guy's a man after my own heart, even above and beyond his stuff and his family. And thank God, God came through. They got all their children, family back, everything. God is good. Now, without just, I'm just going to bam, bam, bam. Just look at this. You just read the life of David. And I have the references up there if you want to see the context. But just look at this. 1 Samuel 23. David said to the Lord God of Israel, he, he inquired of him, God, should I do this? 2 Samuel 2.1. So David sought the face of the Lord, asking him where he should live. 2 Samuel 5.17.21. So David inquired of the Lord. 2 Samuel 21.1. So David sought the face of God. You see this throughout his entire life. This is how he lived. Inquiring of the Lord, God, what should I do? And God would answer him. And the beauty for us in the new covenant, we have the Holy Spirit who speaks to us and reveals God, God's will to us. That's why communion with God, hearing God's voice is such a crucial thing. And that's why fellowship with the Holy Spirit is so crucial so we can hear his voice and do what he tells us to do and be led by the Spirit. Now look at this. I talked about the narrative of David. Look at the Psalms. Do you see this throughout the Psalms too? David always inquired of God. Talking about how to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, how to develop that relationship. Pray for guidance. Ask God, God, what do you want me to do? What do you say about this situation? So I just wanted to go again, show you a few of these, and you can just look at this, how, David, how much David prays for this. This is just a few examples. It's all throughout the Psalms. Psalm 5.8, lead me, Lord. In your righteousness, because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Psalm 25, 4-5, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my God, my Savior. My hope is in you and all day long. Psalm 27, 11, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path. Psalm 31, 3, since you're my rock and my fortress for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. You see that, right? We're supposed to be led by the Spirit. And David prayed over and over, God, lead me. God, guide me. Show me your ways. Teach me. What's your will? Lead me on your path. If David did it, why not us? 
right? We should be praying this as well, praying to God for guidance. God, what should I do in this situation? God, lead me. And, and the Psalms are an amazing template. If you're like, hey, what should I pray? Just go through the Psalms and pick out ones like these ones that I'm showing you here. Ask God, hey, just pray these. God, lead me, guide me. And he will. He promises to answer these, these prayer requests. But we got to actually pray them, right? That's the key that we learned last week. You actually have to pray. Ask God to do these things, and he will. We all know Psalm 23, don't we? But think about, he even prays that in this famous psalm. He says, Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right? So even in that famous psalm that we all know, David's saying, hey, God leads me. He, he guides me. He's with me. It's an amazing thing. And the Holy Spirit's always with us too. He's always leading us and guiding us. So the point, David constantly prayed that the Lord would lead him and guide him. This is a key to being led by the Spirit. This shows that David truly had a heart to do God's will. And likewise, we should pray for guidance all the time. And I've showed you this proverb before, but I love it. It was a life-changing one for me. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding, right? Which is what Saul did. Which is what God rebuked them for and said, Hey, you didn't even consult me. You just did this without my spirit. And, but look at this. Don't lead on your own understanding, even if it makes sense. Like, go, just to go, go, go get your family back. It says, seek his will in all you do. And he will make your path, show you what path to take. It's an amazing promise, isn't it? And this is how David lived. And this is why I'm talking about the keys from the life of David. Now, um, a couple of weeks ago, I'm just, for those of you, some of you get the notes. If you want, I preached a whole message on this, how to know God's will, a couple of weeks ago. Feel free to download it. That was October 22nd. Those are your links and so forth if you want to check it out, hear more on that. Last but not least, the third key of David, talking about how to develop an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. He was an extravagant worshiper extravagant. I mean, that's what he's most known for, isn't it? I mean, the Psalms, come on. <laughs> Forever he's going to be known as like the Israel's worshiper. If you remember when it talked about uh, his last words, it says these are the words of David, the, the writer of Israel's songs. Like this guy was the worshiper. And we're still writing songs taken from his songs, right? The lyrics. But I, 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 so I'm going to just show you a couple things and then I'm going to show you in the New Testament and we're going to do something. Now look at this. So when David was anointed king by Samuel, think about this. He was an unknown teenager who spent his days tending sheep and worshiping the Lord in the back hills of Bethlehem, in the middle of nowhere. Okay? Like, he was, like think, 15-year-old, we'll say, just playing guitar on the hill. No one knows who he is. His father doesn't even, like, call him in when Samuel comes. Like, his brothers didn't like him, it seems. And he's just, he just had such a heart of worship towards God. In fact, Psalm 23 is probably written during this time. That he became known. And I'm going to show you this. How did, how did David get to the place where he went from that to king? It was actually his worship. Okay, and I'm going to show you that right now. So what happened, this is 1 Samuel 16. I'm going to do verse 14 and then skip to 17. Look at, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. After Saul disobeyed. 
and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. Talking about playing music. And look at this. One of his servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well. He's a fine-looking man. And the Lord is with him. How in the world did David, did this guy even know of David? If you think about it, it's like an unknown 15-year-old. He's like, hey, look, I know this guy. He plays really well, and he's, he's anointed. The Lord's with this guy. I'll go get him. Okay, so Saul sends for David, this teenager from Bethlehem. Now look at this. 1 Samuel 16. Whenever the Spirit of, the, of God came on Saul, look at this. David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul and he would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. That's how anointed David's worship was. That whenever Saul was tormented, David would just play his anointed worship, the, the demon would leave and Saul felt better. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's how powerful worship is. That evil can't even stand in the presence of anointed worship. But the point that I want to make today, that is this extravagant worship was a major key to his intimate relationship with God. In fact, I want you to think about something that Don Potter said. If you don't know, he's a major well-known worship leader in the South. I never thought about this before. The o there's only one time in the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, where someone actually says, I love you to God. One time. And if you think about it, I can't think of any, any others. The, the one person who says it is David. Isn't that interesting? It's so common these days, especially in our worship. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Super rare in the Bible that someone would actually say that. But that goes to show David's heart, is, doesn't it? But look at this from Psalm 22, 3. The, a key here. He says, you are holy, you, O you that inhabit the praises of Israel. God's presence inhabits worship. His presence inhabits the praises of his people. How many of you felt his presence during worship today? Yeah. Come on. That's a key. That is a key. A major, 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 major key to intimacy with God. Major. Now, I want to show you this in the New Testament. Talking about fellowship with the Holy Spirit, okay? And I, there's a major key here, so I want you to listen. If you didn't hear anything else, check this out. Ephesians 5, okay? Verse 15 through 20. Look at this. Actually, I'm starting at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but look at this. Understand what the will of the Lord is. We should pay attention, isn't it? He's going to tell us what the, Lord, what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, look at this, be filled with the Spirit. That's an imperative. That's a command. This is what the Lord's will is. Be filled with the Spirit. Question, how do you be filled with the Spirit? See, a lot of people finish there and they don't go on. This actually tells us how to be filled with the Spirit right here. Look at what he says. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, look at this, with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That's how you be filled with the Spirit. What's interesting, look at this, psalms. <laughs> That's how anointed David's songs were. It's like, hey, you want to be filled with the Spirit, sing some of these psalms that David wrote. 
Songs, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Spontaneous songs that the Spirit gives you. And look at this. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks, that's another key, to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. And some of you might know this, but I want to say it if you don't know this. That the verb to be filled with the Spirit is a present imperative. Okay? So, so I'm going to just give you some ways we could actually interpret that. You, you could say, be filled with the Spirit is a pattern for life. That's what Paul's saying. Be continually filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. If you were filled with the Spirit at one time in the past, you need refilling to be, spirit, be filled with the Spirit again today. The comparisons to being drunk. Isn't that interesting? Juxtaposing. Be- okay, if you were drunk yesterday, what do you need to be, do to be drunk today? This is a bad analogy, but think about it. You need a drink again. That's what Paul's saying. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a continual thing. It's not a one-time thing that happened 40 years ago. It's a now-today thing. It says a similar thing in Colossians here. Colossians 3, uh, 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. What? Through psalms. Again, the psalms. Hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing with gratitude to God in your hearts. Worship is such a key. And last but not least, talked about this last week, but I can't get over this one because it's so important. And David, I mean, Paul the Apostle had an amazing life in the Spirit. Look at, his, look at what he says here. Now, we're talking about in the context of worship, music. Okay. So this is 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 18. It says, For I pray, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of inquire say amen to your thanksgiving? Remember, thanksgiving is a key. Since they don't know what you're saying. You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Which goes to show for Paul, he had a high value for tongues. He had a high value of praying in the Holy Spirit. But what I'm emphasizing today is singing in the Spirit. Right? That's a key to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That's a key to life in the Spirit. Is singing, praying in the Spirit. So that's the, what should we do in light of all this? I'm just going to give a quick summary, and then I want to do something. How do you live life in the Spirit? Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. The question is, how do we develop the kind of intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit that David had? And the three keys we looked at today. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit is developed first through valuing your relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's a major key. You need a value. Acknowledge Him. I mean, if... I gave this analogy before, but if you're in a car with someone for eight hours and you don't say a word once, like that's weird, isn't it? The person would probably feel totally rejected. It's like, why aren't you talking to me? Same thing with the Holy Spirit. Why not have a conversation with him when you're in a car, right? Acknowledging him. It's a, it's a major key, but just valuing that relationship through seeking, through praying, all the stuff. Soaking. Inquire of him when making decisions, we saw this. Spend time with him. Ask him to speak to you. Be led by the Spirit like David was. And the third, last but not least, make it your aim to be an extravagant worshiper. 
Do this on your own time. I love the corporate worship. There's nothing that can replace that. This is awesome. I love worshiping with you guys. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit comes. But I want to encourage every single one of us to do this in our own time. And there's no reason not to. You can go on YouTube. Just look up worship music. It's so accessible these days. But do it on your own. And I guarantee you, you're going to develop that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That's what happened to me. Worshiping in your own time, you're going to encounter him. I guarantee it. Just because it's, it's a principle. If you sing the Holy Spirit will come if you worship and he'll fill you, okay? So on that note, if you guys would just stand up. I asked Joel and Chantel to, to come up and lead us in a song. Because we, like I, last week, if you remember, we talked about praying in the Spirit. And we stayed here last week and Trisha sang, how many were here? Yeah, some of you stayed for like an hour, that's awesome. Because the Holy Spirit came. How many of you felt his presence when we did that? Yeah. This week what I want to do is, is this key of extravagant worship. Is as we worship the Lord, I just want you to acknowledge him. Okay? So just this time to, you know, you can cl- sometimes it helps to close your eyes just so you're not distracted. It's up to you. But just I, what I want to do is believe, ask the Holy Spirit to come. And as, as we're singing together, pay attention, okay? Because he says he'll fill. He'll fill. And you might notice you're going to start feeling his presence. You, you might feel tingling. You might feel uh, 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 goosebumps or peace. Or There's so many ways. But I just want you to pay attention to that. And let's, as we do, let's sing this together and just, just enjoy his presence, okay? So go for it, guys.